0: Do you ever get, like, you, where, where are you from, sir? I'm from,
1: oh, Manchester.
0: No, but you're not from America, right? You're from America? Are oh, you really?
1: Oh, that's not rude.
0: That, why, that's not rude. I, what if I did that to a white person? You wouldn't say anything. If I want you look you're German. From yeah, no, no, no. If I said you look German to a white person, you'd be like, oh, maybe you from Germany. No, I, I'm asking, I'm just asking. It's up. I don't know. If you want to call me out? asking asked if he's from fucking Africa. He's got that look that he like, you know, like he's just a. I want to be here. no, like I don't know. Why can't I just ask a question? Can we not even talk to black people anymore? I'm treating them the same way I treat a white person. Is that racist? Like you look like you would be European. Like you. Is that was that racist? You're not getting in trouble. I was asking him where he's from. He said, Manchester. Yeah. And I went, oh, you're not from America. That's what I heard. But I didn't know that.
1: Manchester, Connecticut.
0: Is that where you're from, sir? Yeah. Born and raised? How old are you? I'm you're 20? Oh, I'm 20. 20? I'm 28. Oh, you're 28. Yeah. Do you sound like you have an accent? Yeah. Where are you fucking from? If this motherfucker's not from this goddamn country, I want a public apology. Let's test this one out. What's your birth name, sir? Your name's Richmond? Yeah. Like, Richmond. <laughs> you are not from this fucking country. <laughs> I can tell by the way you wear a hat. Like, black guys don't wear their hats like that from this country. <laughs> Fuck off, dude. You guys do this shit too? It's called profiling. Where are you born? Um, you Fuck you! Yeah. Fuck you! Why are we high like every white person. <laughs> the black chick loves me, fuck yeah! I was I being mean, racist at first! No, I looked at a black guy and I go, you don't look like one of ours, like... <laughs> I should work at a fucking fair! These two were making out the whole fucking time, you kidding me? You missed it! Oh, motherfucker! And that was not rude! You owe me an apology! You knew he was from Ghana. And I said, Where are you from? You said, That's rude! Yeah. No. You didn't know you are fucking him and you didn't know he was from Garland? It's your second date? And you should get to know the motherfucker. I've been. I've been I'm in Montreal, and for the record, I am very drunk. I uh, was partying with Big J and Ari and <laughs> Renazizi, and oh, such a beautiful night. Oh, these comedy festivals are, like, if you're a comedy fan, you gotta, you gotta come to a comedy festival. Uh, today's podcast, what I just played for you was an excerpt out of this weekend's show in Hartford. I'm gonna try to do more of that, maybe. Hold on one second. I'm going to try to do more of that because I'm recording all my shows. I'm focused on being a better stand-up. I am uh, going through and deciding what makes me good or what I like in my comedy. So I'm recording all my shows. So I'll post more of these excerpts of things I find crazy. I found that crazy that a woman would, would date a guy for a couple dates and say how rude and uh, knowing – not knowing he's even from Ghana. That fucking blew my mind. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, the podcast I have coming out is a swapcast. Uh, I want to. Her name's Kelly McLean. She's very funny. She's very interesting. And she's got a, a podcast about comedy. One of my favorite things in the world is a podcast about comedy. She's got Barry Katz on her podcast, who is my old manager. Uh, and I, and I want to support co- people doing podcast about comedy because that's where our bread and butter will come from so enjoy enjoy this podcast i'm gonna i may or may not edit it out i'm do i how drunk do i sound for real i'm pretty drunk tom's fat the i have not listened to him i apparently someone told me today at the festival that tom has released an album track regarding my my weight for those of you who don't know, I I performed last night on the goddamn comedy jam with Justice Sackermancock, so that's out there. So I can't deny anything. That's how bad I am. <laughs> but whatever, I'm fucking hammered. I really am hammered, and I don't mean this in like a light-hearted. Like I just whatever. I'm fucking hammered. Let's just release this podcast. So. Today's podcast is with Kelly McLean. The name of the podcast is The Tao of Comedy, just like The Tao of Steve, which is a fantastic movie, Um, and I want you to check it out, and it's a good, if you're into me, it's an interview about me, and I love me. Boy, I love me some me. Uh, Tour dates, fuck them. I'm on the Eyeball Festival. Check it out. Uh, That's it. All right. Enjoy the podcast.
1: This is... Welcome to the Tao of Comedy. I'm Kelly McLean. My guest today is Burt Kreischer. Burt is a stand-up who's had his own Comedy Central special called Comfortably Dumb, which is hilarious. He hosts Cast, which I think is one of the best names for a podcast ever, and it is one of the top podcasts on iTunes. And he's constantly touring the country doing crazy daredevilish things on his show, Burt the Conqueror, for Travel Channel. Fun fact the movie Van Wilder was based on Burt's life as a party king at Florida State University. He was a bit of a local celebrity. And Bert really has an irresistible, infectious joy that people can't help but pay attention to, as I think you'll see. And we actually have a giveaway for one person who leaves a review on iTunes of the Dow of Comedy podcast. To that one lucky person, we will give a shot glass signed by Bert Kreischer himself, one of the greatest living party kings in the world. So please leave us a review. It is what makes this podcast grow. It's what makes it possible. It's if we keep getting um, people reviewing it and rating it, even if you want to say really horrible things, just please review it. We'll, we'll still enter you if you tell us how sucky we are. And we'll announce who the winner is. Enjoy the Tao of comedy. <laughs> think when you talk about Burt Kreischer you have to tell this story he went to FSU Florida State University and um, at the time it was known as the biggest party school in the country and so a reporter from New York Times
0: Rolling Stone magazine
1: wow Rolling Stone magazine came to say okay well why is this school the party school and they asked a bunch of people, they interviewed everyone, and everybody said the name Bert Kreischer. Everyone's like to party with Bert. It, this is synonymous. If you want to <laughs> know anything about partying at FSU, you gotta know Bert. And so, um, this reporter came to you and started watching you, interviewing you.
0: Eric Hedegaard, he stayed with me for like five days. Whoa. And uh in November, like late November, in your
1: frat house,
0: in my house, my house. I lived in Indian Village, <clears throat> and he stayed in my house. My like, I, and if I spent the night at my girlfriend's house, he spent the night at my girlfriend's house. Wow, like he, was, he was with me twenty four hours a day for like five days.
1: And, and so the article revolved. The guy said, "You know what? Fuck this article. This guy is a lot more interesting."
0: It was. It changed my life, glo- like globally. Like I, like I, I mean, I can't even tell you where I'd be. Had that article not come out, what would happen in my life? And I look back at, like, I was obsessed with the movie uh, Butterfly Effect. Oh, yeah. It just it freaked me out. Like, I got, and I know that's such a dumb movie to be obsessed with, but, like, I saw that movie and it really freaked me out. The whole concept of sliding doors and, like, the one thing happens and you do it.
1: One tiny thing affecting your whole life later on. And
0: it's, like, just one set of decisions. And I think it all all my decisions go back to signing up for a Russian class. And going to, and taking Russian. because if, if I hadn't taken Russian, my girlfriend would have never cheated on me with my. I wouldn't have gone to Russia. My girlfriend wouldn't have never cheated on me with my best friend. Wow. I would have never robbed the train. I would have.
1: <laughs> We're going to get to that.
0: I would have never backpacked through Europe. I would have never met the state, the comedy group The State, David yeah. Wayne and Joe LaTrulio. I would have never met them in Greece. And I would have never made the decision that night to be a comedian. And so then when I got. By the time all this crescendoed into the place where Rolling Stone Magazine came with me, I was an open fucking book. I was a walking Stern interview. Like, I would tell you anything. (laughs) Like, you, you wanted to know anything? I would tell you so much more than you needed to know. Are you and your girlfriend having sex? Yes, and we don't wear condoms. She wanted me to, but I said there's no way I'm getting AIDS. Uh-huh. Like th- that's the way I was. <laughs> I was interacting with people at the time,
1: and literally going out naked in public too. I, so I you're had, like I just had... raw and naked on all fronts.
0: I, and and literally sometimes, like yeah. I literally would go out. Like I had no problem getting naked. I'm one of those guys. There was I heard Brewer and Rogan talk about one time. Like they don't get guys that don't mind getting naked. Me and Stan Hope are the guys that get naked. Like those are the we're that kind of person. You're either that kind of person or you're not i am that kind of person not anymore so much but like i mean why did something on comedy central one time for the show reality bites back and it's so my personality but then i it was the first time i really regretted it i got naked in front of michael leon black and on tv and dry humped his face oh my god and i remember can
1: you even show that on comedy central I have it.
0: you guys show i show it to you on my it's i have it on my youtube but they won't let me play it but i can i can watch it So I watch it for myself sometimes.
1: Oh my God. But
0: yeah, so, and that article came out, changed my life. It came out, um, like Oprah wanted me to be on her show. Wow. Uh, I did a bunch of interviews with a bunch of different people. I did radio for every morning. And in that article, I said I wanted to be be a comedian. Something that I decided in Greece while I was backpacking through Europe. And I decided I want to be a comedian. I said it out loud and someone put on a comedy show and, and we did a comedy show at Pop Belly's and then at Pop Bellies. Uh, I did my first stand-up. I got off my my own morning show in Tallahassee. Oliver Stone had optioned the rights to my life. I decided to move to New York. And then still based off that article I met, I I started working at the Boston Comedy Club, which was Barry Katz's club. And I realized cosmically that that was a place that I belonged. The people that were there are all on that. You can see it. on That was Barry's club. Dave Chappelle, Jeff Ross, Dane Cook, Jay Moore. Amazing. Talent, Sue Costello, Maceo. Jordan Rubin, me, Jim Norton, Reggie McFadden, and DC Benny and Louis Schaefer, and that was like Bobby Kelly, Pete uh, Pete Correale, um, Jim Brewer. Those guys were like my sense of humor, and I go, "This is where I belong." I'd done the alternative scene, and I just didn't. No one ever was nice to me,
1: right? And so, those guys are nice, like most of those who, guys. Are the guys are like, on this, yeah.
0: thing. yeah, oh yeah, every well, not really. Uh, <laughs> I think you could probably <laughs> any one of us could argue that we weren't but but uh I mean
1: Jeff Ross is famous for being a dick but Jeff Ross actually is still probably, really I'm not sweet. even joking
0: Jeff Ross is probably the nicest out of everyone's names I just named Jeff Ross has really always been a sweet. sweetheart to me um but uh but yeah and so I think you know I that article changed my life because Barry I, someone wrote an article about me in Time Out New York that Barry saw Barry showed it to Dave, uh, David Tochterman. David Tochterman was running Royal Smith's company at the time. They went and saw me do stand up, and like, I mean, within doing stand up in six months, I had a, del- a television deal. Same time, that's
1: incredible. Same time,
0: Frank Caliendo had a deal. I mean, it was really, it really is. I look, but I all, I look back to that like one silly decision to take Russian, thinking it was a. Spanish. But you
1: didn't even make the decision to take Russian. You thought it was Spanish. I thought it was Spanish. How's this possible? By the way. So...
0: When I went to college, this is so fucking long ago. You got to remember the internet was around but no one was using it. So classes were you you picked your classes based on a like a like a thin fo- phone book right. that had all the class numbers and they were, it was like I remember a page. Those. So it'd be like, like your, dizzying. Yeah, and it would be um RUS 101 and all the way across would be the numbers you had to dial in. Yeah. So Russian and Spanish were right next to each other. And the you're last,
1: dyslexic, so
0: Yes. And so the last Spanish class, I go and I'm like, Oh, there's an afternoon Spanish class. This would be great. Went all the way over, hit it, and it said dot dot dot, gave out the number. You typed in the whole number, like an eight number, seven yeah. nine eight seven 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 three seven nine eight zero. Add seven nine eight seven seven three has been and you'd wait for it added to your schedule. You were so excited that you heard added you didn't pay attention to what you were added. Yeah. yeah. And so when I showed up to the class, I was like, I literally I remember the. I mean, I say it on stage that it like took three classes to realize it wasn't Spanish. (laughs) It literally did take two classes before I realized. Like the first one, you just everyone's getting books and syllabuses, and we're gonna start hot and fresh the next class. And the next class, I've gone to two. Now I'm now I'm also out of the running to get back into Spanish classes because no one's dropping them now. I've already been into two classes. Right. So yeah. So and then I took Russian.
1: And then you're like, wow, Spanish is a lot harder than I remember it.
0: <laughs> when What I remember saying to someone, when did Spanish get a new alphabet? Oh, my God. I was like, what kind of Spanish? Is this like Castilian <laughs> Spanish? And they're like, this is Russian, dude. And I was like, uh, hasta luego. And so I got up to leave and the teacher, <clears throat> by the way, and this, isn't, this sounds crazy now, it probably sounds crazy to someone that's 18, but like, this was not, this is par for the course at Florida State. A teacher just said to me. The teacher said, listen, I need 14 kids to teach this class. You're the 14th. I need to teach it in order to get my master's. That's why I'm here. I, and if you leave, the class dissolves, and I don't teach it. And i got to wait one more semester. So sit back down. You don't have to do anything all semester, and I'll just give you a C. That was not the first class that had happened to me, too. <laughs> like, I was in a theater class where the key teacher called up, I swear to you, all my children. My buddy Blair and I were in the same class. And it was great because we Blair and I lived together. He was one of the guys that was with me during the Rolling Stone. And... We would drive to class together and the teacher called me and said, listen, I, uh, I think you are, he first thing he said was, uh, he called my class house. Blair's like, our teacher's calling you. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, hello. He's like, "Miss Chrysler. So yeah, he said, uh, you are in my class. Your grades are a little low. Um, are you aware what you'd have to get on the next three tests in order to pass my class? And I was like. Oh, no. I mean, like probably like A's. He's like, no, you'd have to get like 140, 160, and another 140. I was like, I go, are you offering extra credit? And he was like, no, you cannot. What I'm saying is you cannot pass my class. And he's like, what I'd like to offer you, he goes, you are genuinely extremely entertaining. And I I enjoy having you in the class. However, it is so disruptive that I can't teach the class. And he mm-hmm. said, so I will give you the 140, the 160, and the 140, and I will pass you in my class. However, I need you not to come again. Just don't show up. What?" And I was like...
1: That's like a dream. I was like,
0: deal. And he's like, I don't know what you'll do in this business or in this world, but uh, I will say you're one of the more entertaining students I've ever had. And I was like... And uh, by the way, I was legit funny in that class, Like, <laughs> and, and I was getting the teacher to laugh so hard that they, the teacher couldn't, the guy that called, he couldn't keep his composure.
1: Like, so you, I, it was actually a compliment. It was a It com- might have like been heartbreaking for some other student to be like you, I can't teach with you in my class but he was actually saying that you were so amazing and hilarious. He thought he I, I was really focus. funny
0: and that he, I would distract him and I would make the whole class laugh and I, and I, I do have an ability I, I mean I think now I can say this as a professional stand-up comedian but like Whenever I've done things like I don't I haven't done like at midnight or anything like that, but like whenever I do live game shows, I'm I do have an ability to be very funny in the moment. Like Mark Marin used to have a game show called Nevermind the Buzzcocks. This is a long time yeah. ago. And one of the games that you play is they'd bring out four people. And they'd say, one of these four people is Mike Williams, the lead singer of Loverboy. Can you guess? Which one is Mike Williams? And you could ask them questions. You can get them to do things. But you had to guess it was supposed to be entertaining. Yeah. So I did it. It was with Molly Culver, I think, and Tiffany. And the three of us. And Marin's the host. And he's like, Bert, can you guess which one's Mike Williams? I think that's the guy's name that leads to her lover Loverboy. So they're all just kind of staring off away from us. And if you talk to one, they'd turn and they'd answer a question. I go, very simply, Mark. And I go, Mike and one guy turned his <laughs> head <laughs> and, and Marin fucking doubled over. You it was it. so good. And I, and, but like in those moments, I'm really, I, I, I'm pretty quick. Yeah. And I can say that now as a professional comedian, I am pretty quick on my yeah. feet. So I was, I was killing it in this class. And the teacher was like, I, you know, it was a very, it was a compliment. And I was like, I remember saying like, I think I kind of fucked myself over because I am interested in film. And now I don't get to go to the class, but I am passing. But like, shit, what does this mean for like a career in film? Because I was now I was interested. But yeah. whatever.
1: I guess we know what it means now. Yeah, I guess. but I've never heard of this happening to anyone. It, it happened to you twice. It's it happened crazy. me three
0: times. S- it's three happened, times. To me, it happened to me a number of times. Like yeah, amazing. You just go to a class and they'd be like, listen, you're, I love you. I think you're hilarious. You're not passing my class, but I'll just pass you. Just stop showing up. Oh my god. That happened. I I mean, it happened in Russia. It happened to every Russian class. If I just showed up, I got to see. So I took four. I I mean, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'm a minor in Russian.
1: Amazing. And then they had you. Do you speak much Russian? None. 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 I took
0: four semesters. Never learned the fucking language. Only vodka. I went to Russia. All our classes were taught in Russian. All of our classes were taught in Russian. They pulled me aside. My teacher at the time was my teacher, my language teacher the entire time. Mind you, I was also taking Russian literature classes. (laughs) So, like... She sat she pulled me up to the uh to the uh romantic the Romantic Languages office in the Williams building. So on like the fourth, like fifth floor, it's in the attic. It was really cool. They smoked cigarettes up there. It was badass. It was really cool. She takes me up there and she's like, I'm gonna introduce you to the head of the Russian department at the time. She said he just wants to talk to you about going on this trip. And so he like sits down, he smoked Marlboro Reds. He was a stud. He was a stud. He sits down, has a cigarette. Pulling up a cigarette and he looks at me and he goes, uh, <laughs> and I, went, I, I don't know what you're saying. And he looks at her and he goes, you aren't lying. She, he doesn't speak a lick of the language. <laughs> she goes, I told you. And he goes, listen, here's the deal, man. He goes, uh, I'll let you go on this trip. I understand the situation we're in. I'll let you go on this trip. Uh, I'll let you take classes. I'm going to give you the credit. You're going to have a minor in Russian. you got to promise me you will never take another Russian class. And I was like, dude, I don't want to take the ones I'm in. And he was like, because... You are really close to getting like a, a legit degree in a russia in Russian, and I can't give you. I can, I just can't. I can't do this. You don't speak any of the language. And I was like, man, oh, I God just want to go on the trip. I just want to have a good time. He's like, all right. And all the classes we took were taught in Russian. They were by Russian teachers who did not speak English.
1: And and they all knew that you didn't speak. Everyone knew. So, but that's like illegal, isn't it? But technically, I, mean...
0: I just sat in those classes. Our classes were in. Uh, were in uh like old dance studios like ballerina studios uh-huh. so they were like just tables That's so weird in russian <laughs> just folding tables with mirrors everywhere and my hair was purple at the time oh because God. it was blonde like i dyed it blonde i was going through a phase where i was dying my hair like white and the, they told me they pulled me aside and they're like listen you need to dye your hair black because in russia they're not very fond of homosexuals i was like i'm not i'm not gay and they're like, they would not know that if they saw you with white hair. So uh. just to keep you safe, just dye it black. So I dyed it black, but there were hints of purple in it. So as I started washing my hair, the black started coming out. And you just, I remember looking thinking, I definitely have purple hair. Like I have black hair with purple highlights. And I look more purple. gay than with that.
1: <laughs> I bet it was beautiful.
0: I loved it. I wish I could go back to having that much hair. I, oh, I loved my hair back then.
1: Are you balding now?
0: Yeah, thing.
1: Oh, I mean, not, balding, um, not bad. No, no, just like it's a like, little recession, it's like just thinning, minor recession.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm 43. I, mean, I should be bald by now. So the fact that I have any hair, I'm like kind of no. Sucked. It's a win. Totally.
1: Yeah. I didn't think you were even 43. Yeah, I'm 43. Everyone since best.
0: I'm younger, I actually f- always felt younger. Yeah, crazy. well, you
1: have this like big baby quality too, I have a right? Very big like baby you're gonna quality. always like <laughs> you look like a giant bearded baby. I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> So since you got halfway through one of the greatest stories that have ever been told, will, will you do us the honor of finishing it? Of course. So, so as you fast forward, you go to Russia.
0: We go to Russia in 1995. And that is, for those of you who don't know, <clears throat> no. So that's when the Russian mob ran everything. And they told us that our very first night. They sat the whole class down. They're like, listen, we have paid off the mafia to keep you safe. In exchange for our money, they give us two young gangsters. These guys are going to walk you to class. They're going to live with you. They're going to take you on field trips. They're going to do everything with you. Don't talk to them. They're in the mafia. Don't look at them in the mafia. Don't interact with them. I was like, I want to be their best fucking friend. <laughs> I mean, this trip just got badass. They've got gangsters with us. So I literally, first night, grabbed a bottle of vodka, got a six-pack of Baltica, which is their local beer. And I worked on a sentence all day. I was going to say, Bert <laughs> Which means, hello, my name's Bert. It's very nice to meet you. I work pussy. So it really means I work with cats, but that was like the best I could do. So the guy opens. The only Russian
1: you ever learned.
0: The only Russian I ever knew at that point is to say that. And so I open, guy opens the door, real gangster, tattoos, wife beater, track pants, cigarette. Says to me like, shh, I panic. And everything I plan on saying flooded out of my head. And all I said to him in Russian in his doorway was, I am the machine. What I was trying to say was I'm the man, which which is (laughs) Yamashina. But I said Yamashinu, which means I am the machine. And this guy started laughing hysterically. He's like, dude, I fucking love you. I drank with him and like nine gangsters all night long. And I went shot for shot with them. And all I knew how to say was, I'm the machine.
1: <laughs> and what? every time you said it, they're like, And yeah. they
0: just fucking laughed. He's the machine. <laughs> and uh, and these guys loved me. And we did everything. We spent, like, you remember, like, I'd be in class. These guys ran our trip. I'd be in class. Igor was the guy's name. He'd just come into my class, stick his head in the room and go, Machine, which means machine let's go and i just leave class i'll be like see you later no one can say a fucking no word. one's gonna stop the russian no gangsters no one's gonna say a fucking word to him so one night we take a, a overnight train trip to moscow and igor my buddy goes i can't go i said why not he goes different mafia runs train different mafia runs moscow so he takes me to the train station introduces me to my two new gangsters we got new gangsters for the train and for moscow gets me introduce me to the ones that at the train station, Igor and Igor, and he says to me, he goes, these are the, tells them, he goes, guys, this is the machine. If you give the machine vodka, you'll have a great time. <laughs> and the bigger the two, Igor's is excited. Like, he looks like a kid on Christmas. He's like, I can't wait to play with the machine. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I'm excited too, because I'm like, fuck yeah. Like, I, all my like my name's getting out. Like, these guys know me.
1: So Talk about butterfly effect. You say one word wrong. Dude,
0: you have no idea. Like, anyway, we go back. We start partying. I mean, hard. Second, the train takes off of the station. Everyone that works in the train comes in to pay the respects. The fucking conductor walks in, like, rips off the stars and stripes to his shirt, places them on my lap and goes, this is a present for the machine. Oh like People are like, I would love to do a shot of vodka with the machine. I'm 22 years old thinking, these machine stores might have gotten out of control. <laughs> we drink all the booze in an hour and Big Eager's like, machine, let's go to the bar cart to get more vodka. And I'm like, fuck it. Let's do it. We roll into the bar cart. Like, legit. I mean, everyone looks at us and looks away. And then Igor says to me, in Russian, he goes, machine, go behind the bar and grab bread. And I understood him. For a second, I'm like, oh, I'm fucking learning. Like, I'm finally learning the language. like, my way, not through flashcards and textbooks, but by joining the mafia. It
1: crime. Yeah,
0: through it. And so I'm behind the bar, like, I know what you said. He's like, grab cheese. And I was like, see, you, the cheese. He's like, grab vodka. I was like, vodka. Oh, my God. And then he's like, grab the money. I'm like, what? He's like, grab the fucking money. And I realize... At that instant, we're robbing the bar cart, and I'm the one doing it, hooked on phonic style. <laughs> so I grab the shit, walk out, two of my classmates see me, and they're like, you're in so much fucking trouble. Go back to our first class cabin, and our head chaperone of the train trip, she was just an English teacher. She was not the, uh, she didn't speak Russian. She rolls in. To our first class cabin, swings the door open and loses her mind in like a liberal arts kind of way. Like, this is fucking over. Like, (laughs) screaming. Big Igor looks at her, takes a big sip of vodka, spits it in her eyes and goes, no one talks to the machine like that. (laughs) Shuts the door and he's like, fuck that bitch, this is Russia. Don't worry. Tonight when it gets dark, we have good time. I'm like, what are we doing when it gets dark? Reaches in his pocket, pulls out a ring of keys and he goes, we're robbing the whole fucking train. Oh, my God. The only thing I'll ever say about life, the one thing I've learned about life, know who you are today. Like, know what you want. Like, if you say you don't want to smoke pot, or if you say you don't want to do coke, or if you say you don't drink and drive, say it out loud a lot to yourself. You need to have a conversation. I always—I never cheat on my wife. And I I say that to myself. Like, if anything ever happens, like a girl hot is hitting on me, I start that conversation. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on my wife. And then I end up yelling, I don't cheat on my wife or whatever. But... Because I never had that conversation about robbing trains. (laughs) And when push comes to shove, apparently I'm the guy that's like, fuck it. Let's start with my class. So we robbed them while they slept. We robbed the whole train. And then we drank all night long and pulled into Moscow at like 6 a.m. Fucking hammered. I mean, blitzed. Train stops. Suns up. Door open. Same teacher. Looks at me smiling and goes, I want to be the one to tell you they've alerted the police. I look out the window and there's two cops talking to my whole class who they're in their pajamas they're upset they've been robbed I get it they're you know apparently they've never heard snitches get stitches (laughs) Big Igor sees this and is completely unfazed walks out to the cop who's taking a statement okay okay grabs him by the arm spins him around in his face and starts going fuck you we fuck you in the house we fuck you in the mouth we i'm like stop with the fucking we shit now the cop's (laughs) just looking at me and he's barking out which i don't i don't don't even know what that means to this day but it doesn't sound like you're okay stay there (laughs) i walk to the cop who's standing in front of the class i just robbed next to the gangster i robbed him with get like two steps like, really honestly scared out of my mind, thinking to myself, this isn't like this isn't how I plan on spending my second junior year, you know, in the gulag. He grabs me by the arm, spins me away from my class, away from Igor, pulls me right into his face, and he goes, So, I understand you're the machine. <laughs> Tonight you party with us. And I was like, oh, I remember God. looking at him and I go, my, by, mind you, my whole class is right behind him. They're staring at him, wondering what's about to happen to me. I realized I just got off. And I look at him and I go, hold on, I'm not in trouble. And he gets so close to me, I can smell his morning cigarette. And he goes, no, fuck that bitch. This is Russia. <laughs> Fucking, it's the best story that ever happened to me. It's
1: the best story, the best story I've best ever story. heard. It's
0: the best story that ever happened to me. Um,
1: and you probably learned more about Russian culture than all of those people put together.
0: I did things with these guys that you couldn't, you couldn't pay you couldn't pay to do, like, they took me into the woods one night out in some forest, <clears throat> uh, and we built a fire, and we drank, and then the whole goal, I think is like, a, I don't know, look, I don't even know, but I think it's like a test of, a thing you do with young boys in Russia, but you build the big fire, and then you have to drink until you can piss it out. So then we just drank all night long, and every time you piss, you would piss on the fire, and you're trying to put it out. That was the goal. Oh my god. It was like, did, we did you some, put it out? I don't I don't know, remember. I have no memory of it. I all I know is that... there's I, so
1: much alcohol in your system. I'd be worried the flame would go right in your cock.
0: No, yeah, no, that did not happen. <laughs> all I know is that at one point I went to I went for a walk and it was dark and Igor my buddy grabbed me and I stopped and he was like, "No, stop walking." I was like, "I'm just going for a walk." And he's like, "No, very dangerous." And I look and I'm like, I am ten feet from a straight cliff into the into like a lake or whatever. Oh my! And Igor like, saved your life, probably. I mean, I, I look at that. I look at. I always think. I believe in time travel. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Okay, I'm a weird we're going person. into that. <laughs> I, I believe in. I, I believe that there are. I, I just think there's probably a bunch of bunch of scenarios where I've died because I, I I believe that like I look back and I can't believe I'm still alive today.
1: It's pretty amazing. There's there's no scenario where you've died.
0: Yeah, I know. Just
1: knowing very little about you, watching your show, and hearing some of your stories. Pretty amazing.
0: I've done so much crazy shit. Like, just so many times I should have died. Like, so many times. Like, not like a couple. Like, so many fucking times I should be dead. Running Buffalo across Texas, you know, on horseback. Like, that just was really dangerous because buffalo are really unpredictable. And if a buffalo gets up under a horse, you're you're gone. I mean, it's just fucking, it's not cattle. And so, like, that, like, my first, I watched a girl die. Like, she didn't end up not dying, but I watched death enter her eyes. Mm. Like, it was like scuba diving at, like, 50 feet. And then I I ran out of air scuba diving at 90 feet. Like you use so much oh shit, God. like jumping out of planes. You
1: fought and, a bear.
0: And fighting a bear and getting mauled by a bull. and Let alone and, the
1: amount of alcohol you've put in your system on certain nights.
0: So that, I mean, I look at that like just, that's like how many nights that I I just woke up. And you're like, huh, can't believe I, can't believe I. Rolled the dice on that one and got away with it.
1: I know. I don't even believe in alcohol poisoning anymore.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, and then the fact that I just went to the doctor and I'm totally healthy. And you're like, what? (laughs) Like, I literally, I drank yesterday, but, like, I've been trying to curb my drinking. Just not, but not for, like, I like I definitely don't, I don't think I have a problem with alcohol, but I definitely want to live forever. I want to live as long as I can live. So, like, I just started going, like... Just take care of yourself. Like try to spend one night on the road not drinking. That's great. Just add that into the mix. Make it like a Friday night or Saturday night, one of the two. Try not to drink a ton Thursday night. Get some rest. Work out during the week and then don't drink when you're home. So like I don't drink when I'm home. But I, I've, n- I've never really been a big drinker much when I'm home. But I'm, I'm fairly healthy. I, I was not very healthy a few. Like it, when I was in Montreal, I was like the worst I've ever been.
1: I drank until about 5 a.m. every night in Montreal for a week at the Comedy Festival last summer.
0: I drank hard, and it was like, we were just everyone was partying, and you haven't seen guys in a while. And, and
1: it's open bar every night, catered. Yeah.
0: It was the best. I loved it. It's amazing. So one thing I will say about Comedy Central is when they come in and pay for the bar like that, you just go like, hey, I love you guys forever. Like, you know, Comedy Central is an interesting network because... Obviously, I'm, I work for I work for Travel Channel. I've worked out for them for six years. Yeah. But I always have like an affinity to Comedy Central. I'd do anything for them because they were always there for me in a bunch of different ways. Like offering me deals or offering me shows. I'm doing a show for them right now. But it's just – there's no money in it. But it's just like, hey, Bert, you can do whatever you want. And you get paid
1: to travel around the world and explore and do crazy shit. I, I, I was going to say in my – um. Getting back to the the article that was written about you, so it the the rights were optioned, and then somehow it gets out of Oliver Stone's hands into the hands of some other writer who writes it and gives it to National Lampoon, and they make the movie Van Wilder.
0: Yeah, I think you know I really wish I knew more of how that went down. Um, only, but I was I just I like and I always say that because I wasn't involved with any of it. I wasn't involved yeah. with any of it when it was Oliver Stone. I wasn't involved with it. When, like, I just was some kid, you know? Like, it's very easy for people to go, how come you didn't? Because I was nobody. I was literally less than nobody. I wasn't even a comic at the time. So, like, no one wanted to listen to me. No one wanted to hear my ideas. Yeah. I, and so I, and I, Barry Katz was my manager at the time. Um. And when that movie came out, my agents and my manager, another manager I had, said they wanted to sue and we got on a conference call. It's so funny. I remember small details like they're like – I'm obsessed with small details. But like one of the small details about this is we were – I was on Venice over by the Starbucks uh, near Culver City. Yeah. Like, And I was I – was, I remember being at that light and thinking I have this conference call. I had a Yukon Denali at the time and it was on speakerphone and I was like I should stop driving to take this conference call because if we're talking about suing – And Barry Katz got on the phone and he was like, Papa, there's two people who work in this business. People who sue and people who work.
1: Mm. And
0: it's the two types of people in this business, people who sue and people who work. And he's like, pick which one you want to be. And at the time I was already working. And you know, like nothing very big came of that movie. Like the first, it didn't open big. It wasn't like a a box office smash. Yeah. It has since become a cult. It
1: became a cult classic.
0: I really, I, I mean, I sincerely kind of wish I had never, like I'm the one that, told everyone about that my connection with that movie because I would be doing radio and it was like a great way to try to get people to come to my shows. But now it's like now everything I do, whatever person you work with, they always want to do that. They always want like, when I wrote a book, they were like, we want to put like some reference to Van Wilder. And I was like, no. Yeah, and I was like, no, I'm not that guy. I'm not Van Wilder. I have no connection with that character. The only connection that ever really was was that Van Wilder is a movie about what happened to me. It is a movie about a kid who gets an article written about him, and that's it. Just yeah. a journalist writing about a kid. That's it. That's the only connection the I have. Partying to movie.
1: is the only character. And we po- both parties. And we both li-
0: were in college a long time. Like, right. My, we all, all our friends have the same names because I guess they let, they never changed my friends' names. Uh,
1: but it by no means was you. Uh, none. None. Like, like I met capture with capture your spirit at all.
0: No, and I mean I don't. I, mean, I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, it's so funny. I was. Uh, I was. You know, once again, and I and I only say this because you know we had talked about Barry earlier, but Barry that advice Barry gave me was fantastic because I think two years ago or a year ago I was in the I was getting brought around to do a sitcom and everyone wanted to meet with me and and see what I wanted to do and one of the companies I met with was the company that produced Van Wilder and they were like wow and they, by the way I gotta say and I I can't remember the name of the company but I think it's Ryan Reynolds company. And I gotta say that they were, they had their their producers were two of the more insightful producers I've ever met with. Wow. The the way they looked at me was really I, I really kind of like I was really blown away by that. Like I it was, and I walked out. and I was like, I'm so glad that Barry gave me that advice about look, there's no reason to sue. This is a big business. This is a small business that you're going to be in forever. We're all going to be running in the same circles. If you start shitting on people's doorsteps. Everyone's going to notice it. And it was really cool. I met with them and now I, we didn't. We ended up not doing a project. But now I know that there's two people, three people, if you include Ryan Reynolds in that, who are fans of mine who want me to do well that are very
1: powerful. Yeah, totally worth more than whatever money you would have gotten out of it. Yeah.
0: And so I don't know. I look back at it and I go, it's, an, it's a neat little footnote in my life. It by no means is my life. Like no, I don't want – I never want people to go – Oh, that's Van while Wa- Because I'm not that guy at all. Yeah. I'm Bert.
1: Well, you said time travel. Tell me, you believe in time travel?
0: I believe in time travel. I believe that one day... I'm I, Like, let me just put it this way. I don't technically believe in it, but when it does show up, I won't be shocked. Yeah. Like, I just... I, time travel. I'm obsessed with time travel. Like I, I, any movie about time travel, I just lose my mind. And, and I, that is like more than probably faith. I have all my eggs in the time travel basket <laughs> yeah. opening that when I'm about to die, I get to just to go, you, go back in time. like,
1: where do I invest? Oh,
0: I know what days I'm going to. Like I'm, I'm, I've already thought it out. Clearly
1: you're, you're already going back and saving your own life a lot.
0: Uh, I must – I'm going to be like – I I can remember a couple times and like I remember one time in a car we were with this girl, uh, Julie Homan, and she was flying and she flew a light on Hillsboro and like – I don't know if it was Hillsboro. It might have been Nebraska and something and just flew it and fucking cars – just like in the movies, like cars were going like this and her car went right in between them and we flew sideways and sideways and popped out on the other side and I was just like, oh – I'm dead or alive right now. How did that work? And then I'm like, okay, I'm alive. All right, I need to get out of this fucking car. Like th- but like I yeah, I I'm a, I'm obsessed with time travel.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Do you um like these times where you've almost died? Yeah. What when did you get closest and have you had the near death experience to the point of like your life flashing before your eyes or like what has happened in the moment that you got closest to death
0: well like i you know i I'm, i say that like i, I want, want to make sure that i qualify to everyone listening that i am well aware that i am not like a navy seal and i'm not stuck in fallujah and like i've had real near-death experiences like 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 real men yeah. i am simply a tv host that's just done a lot of dangerous shit and i've like like getting mauled by the bull was the first time i realized oh like it's it's amazing when you have moments where uh where instant tragedy happens, there's an there's a weird feeling that goes over your head over your mind. And it's like uh do you ever you ever cut your finger like cutting onions? Yeah. And the second you cut your finger, you you stop and you have this amazing sense of like, God damn it, I just want to I wish I just didn't do that. Like I want to go back two seconds and not cut that onion. Yeah. And like you're like it's like amazing, not remorse, but you're like Oh, stupid. Oh, this was stupid.
1: Yeah. Like, like, even before you feel the pain, there's You're this like, moment.
0: oh, damn it. This is going to be really complicated now. And yeah. it didn't need to be complicated. And I made it complicated. Yeah. And, like, when I got hit by the bull, I went I, – I, I, my bro, ribs broke and he broke my leg. And I went – and I just went, oh, no, this is not what I wanted to happen – have happened because now I'm still in the ring and I need to get out of here and I can't get my leg to work. And I can't breathe. I, like, I have no – and I was – it's, like, amazing – it's an amazing, I know that that's what death's going to feel like. I know that death is going to feel like, if, if I have it, an accident, yeah. that death's going to go, no, damn it, yeah. why did I, yeah. I, I could have totally not done any of these things, and, and not, Oh, why was I so stupid? Like, I fell off a waterfall and, uh, in, in North Carolina and landed on my back, and I, th- and I thought I broke my back, but the second I landed, I went, you're so stupid, why did you do that? Like it's like, I don't, I I can't, it's like instant remorse, not remorse, regret, like instant overwhelming regret of going like, I just want to go back three seconds ago. Three seconds ago, I wasn't hurt. Yeah. I want to go back one minute ago and go, I don't want to do this. This is a bad idea. And, and I was stuck at the bottom of this waterfall, 210 feet and immobile. I couldn't get my legs to work um like I could get them to work
1: do you relate to the guy from the revenant like you're like the closest I've gotten to this guy
0: let me tell you i i related to that guy so much when i watched that movie because when he dug himself out of the grave and he and he made the decision to live yeah i'm i'm i know that feeling i know that feeling so in- t- intensely because when i fell off that waterfall i got down adrenaline gets gets you from point a to point b and and so i got out of the water i got over off the water but i was like i'm can't, my legs as you're moving your legs stop working cuz your adrenaline starts to dissipate and then as i like i couldn't it hurt to breathe And like as I got straighter, my back would just start hurting. And as as I went to stand up, I just couldn't. I didn't have – I couldn't. My back muscles were all shredded. And that's what had happened is I contused all my back muscles on the right side of my body. I was very lucky I didn't land on my back and break my back. But I thought I had ruptured a kidney and I thought I broke my back because I couldn't get my legs to like go up. Like I could get my legs to shuffle. I could shuffle my feet if I stood. I could not move much and shuffle my feet. Or I could get on my hands and knees and I could crawl but i couldn 't um oh I, couldn't get, I couldn't get couldn't get my life to move and it was inter- it was what was interesting is that just how and I, I say this if, if, to anyone listening, my crew that was with me, my TV crew were my best friends in the world, and I loved them to death. And there, no one was at fault, but we no one had expected anyone to fall on this off of this waterfall. Yeah, and so it was amazing how just ill prepared we were for this moment, because we were like, "What do we do? Like, what do we? Like, none of us." I'm an executive producer on the show, and I'm going, "Yeah, what what do we do now?" And I literally said to myself, "I was like, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here, and I need to get to a hospital because if I have internal bleeding, I will be dying soon, and yeah. I need to get out of here." And I literally. It's an amazing moment but I I rem- when I saw Leonardo DiCaprio pull himself out of that grave I go I've been there where you're like it's so scary cuz you go this is going to take a while this is going to take a really long time this may be the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because by the way this is a canyon this isn't uh this isn't like a hiking in and out it was like rappelling down areas climbing up rocks climbing up tree like it was imp- like legit horrifying thought in my head of like how am i doing this and so i just literally said to my crew you know wrap up what you're doing here i'm gonna start moving and i'll bring one kid with me and i mean the kid there's nothing the kid could do because i i just had to do it i had to do it all but i was like i was crawling i get up to the top of the trailhead and uh and i was like that was the first time i felt safe when i got to the top of the trailhead i was like okay and then and then they had to put me on a backboard on a on a on like a ATV, and it was like in a hammock, so it would swing. Oh, it was so insanely painful. Oh, the, I mean, I, I look back at that moment, I go, "This is the most pain I've ever had," because the pain's shooting up your neck, down your arm, down your leg, like it, and and it was just overwhelming. It was like piercing. It would knock the wind out of you. And then I got to the ho- finally got to the hospital. I refused uh, like uh, morphine in the ambulance because I said, I just thought if I'm, because no one knew what was wrong with me yet. Yeah. And I was like, if I'm dying right now, I want to be lucid. I want to call my family. Wow. Like it's crazy. It's crazy to think really that, but like I thought, I, I thought I was like, I ruptured my kidney. I definitely ruptured my kidney because that's where I landed. Wow. I landed a little, maybe a little higher. So that's how I missed my kidney. But then when I got to the hospital and they're like, oh, your blood pressure's fine. Oh, that was my blood pressure was high. They're like, your blood pressure's down. You're, you're, you're going to do, you're going to be okay. I think we'd know if there was any internal bleeding by now. Let, we want to take some x-rays, but can we give you Dilaudid so that you'll relax and we can move you around? And I, as soon as I took that, I was like, okay, I'm going to be fine. But man, that, that was like, it was crazy. Getting mauled by the bull was the same way where you're like, I need to go to a hospital. I, I could have, I broke ribs. Like they could be in my organs. Yeah. Like that.
1: But of course your future self came back and, and moved them around. So it was fine. I
0: guess. I don't know. <laughs> but like, I look at those moments. Like when I ran out of air at 90 feet, I was like, yeah. I literally, I remember but here's the crazy thing is I wasn't the only one that ran out of air. Like two of my other cameramen ran out of air too. Fuck. And so we had just – we were just down there and we were working and we weren't paying attention and our dive guide came over and looked at our air and was like, you're out of air. And I looked at it and we're in the red and I'm like, shit. So we start going up and they're like, no, grabbing our ankles. They're like, you got to go. You're going to get the bends. So now we got a buddy breathe off each other, and you just sitting there going like, oh "It's amazing though." You God. get you get pretty calm. You know what's so funny is I said I know what it's like to run out of air. That's part of getting um getting your. What you, I know what it's like, so I said I'm gonna hold on to mine until it's out of air. I'm gonna be here until it's out of air, and I'm just gonna con- slow down my breathing and and just slowly go up with a bubble, and that's what you just go up the same pace as a bubble and then you get we got to 15 feet and that's when i ran out legit ran out and we had to they had like a an octopus down there with like a bunch of breathing a, a tank with and i just breathed off a tank at wow. 15 feet and then we took the tank up to the top we traded out tanks and then we had to go back down
1: you had to go back down yeah
0: but you just get you get you get numb inside i was a stunt pilot for a day i was a yeah. stunt pilot for a day and you the guys like all right this is what you do uh take the take the stick uh, right foot, left foot on the pedals, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, and then push it to the left and you do a right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, push it to the left and the plane stalls and it starts dropping out of the air, oh spinning. God. And
1: are you thinking about your wife and children? You're are thinking, you just, is your mind just stopped? It's amazing. I've never had this.
0: It's amazing. You know, I did, I did this thing called, uh, called, uh, the sweat box. The sweat box is, I don't know, you never probably saw Officer and a Gentleman, but what it is, it's a cage. I mean, it's called a sweat cage. So, so uh, when a helicopter lands, under, lands in the water, the first thing it does is it flips upside down. So the, this is a, a thing for pilots so that if you ever get trapped in water, you know the sensation of being upside down and how to get out of the helicopter, how to be calm. So they put you in this cage. They flip you into a pool upside down. You drop to the bottom of the pool. You wait. And then you un- you're in a five-point harness, and you're in a box, and you open the door undo the harness, swim out, come to the top of the water. It's amazing in those moments of panic just how calm you can get if you know what to do. Like if you mm-hmm. just follow the simple instructions of like of like, okay, uh run your trace your hand from your body onto the wall over to the door, undo, undo the door. Trace your hand back over, bring it back to you, grab onto the bar, twist and undo all the things. Hold yourself through the bar, bar, pull yourself through the thing, swim to the top. It's amazing. So like even like when we did, when I was a stunt pilot, he'd have me stall the plane out at like, at like I think probably 13,000 feet and hammerhead to the earth. And he'd be like, now calm down. Breathe. Breathe. Wow. Pull the stick to your stomach. And you just start like you're in a surreal moment. You go
1: into like a space of meditation.
0: Yeah. And you pull your stick to your stomach and then you right foot. And you pull out of it, and you're like, and, he, and then he goes, "All right, are you ready to do it again? Let's get back up to thirteen thousand feet." Like, so no, you climb. I'm not. it's really, <laughs> you know, like skydiving. I went skydiving with Rachel Ray, and they said to me, they were like, you know, it's crazy because I had, had panic attacks going up in the plane, but then, and he, they wanted you to do all the stuff. They wanted you to tell when to pull the shoot. They yeah. want it's because it's really like a class. It really technically is a class what you, that you're taking. Yeah. Um, and then they wanted you to pull the chute. I think you pulled the chute at 6,000 feet, I'm guessing. Um, I th- I'm almost certain. But it was like when I, when I skydived, it, there was a moment of clarity I had, like a sincere, sincere moment of clarity because I realized, oh shit, the dice have been rolled. Like as you're screaming to the earth, you're like, I'm either going to live or die right now, and I can't change that. I can't change that at all. Like, I, like for a person who kind of thinks about like micromanages shit and is obsessive compulsive, that feeling was... Absolutely terrifying, like going.
1: Out right, out of control. You're either going to die or you're going to live.
0: I can't take a pill to fix it. I can't go. No, no, no. I'll quit drinking. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's. you gonna. That's that's it.
1: What has meaning when you're there at the end, feeling like you're at the end, and and looking back at your life, what holds meaning? Um. Does it all make sense?
0: I don't know. You know, it's so funny, and I keep coming back to this. I think in those moments where you're the most afraid, or you're the most, where you would be the most afraid, you're the most calmest. Yeah. Like because like I remember thinking about my kids was the first thing I thought about, and then I thought, okay, if this is the end of my life, I remember this is a lot more thought out than the statement that went in my head. Right. But like, but this is ultimately what I thought. If this is, if this is how I die, how am I going to go out scared? Or am I gonna go out fearless? And like I remember thinking like a Viking and I was like I was like, fucking drink it in, man. This is it if, if this is your last sip for the night, if this is it, last call, fucking pound it. And I just wow and I just was like I mean there a picture of me right behind you is me skydiving and I was like I was yeah. like, I'm fucking doing it. Like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in the moment. And I was in the moment. And then when the shoot opens, that's when all the feelings flooded me. And I started crying aggressively. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> I was like – because I really thought about my kids. And I was like – because that's my own – their only fear at this age is I just don't want them to not have a dad. You know? Yeah. Like when I go to the doctor, they found a lump on my kidney. And mm-hmm. uh, and it was like last week. And, wow. uh, and it was really – and I went cold. I went cold. Not for me, but for my kids. Like losing a dad this yeah. young – and the, the kidney, the lump was nothing. It was part 10% of the it population have all the time. It's like a bean yeah, of some us. sort. Yeah. And they're like, don't worry about it. But I was like, but that's it. And that's why, that's the only reason I'm working out now and I'm not drinking as much. Yeah. I'm trying to be healthy. It's just so that I can be healthy for my kids. It's because I do, yeah. I do want to live a long time. Despite the way I live, the, my yeah, lifestyle despite is. Despite
1: what it may look like yeah, despite to an fighter,
0: Yeah. But like, but like, yeah, like, I mean, I I, I had a life insurance exam. And I had to tell him, you know, yes, I go scuba diving. Yes, I go skydiving. Yeah, but I was like, you because know, you're Is your
1: very... premium really fucking high? You
0: no, know, it's so funny. <laughs> you do like a, you do a on the, on the phone interview and I was on my treadmill on the phone doing the interview and we we're talking and I was telling him all this stuff about my life and he was like, all right, well, I think that's all I need, Mr. Chrysler. Thank you very much. I will stop recording now. And I was like, cool. And then he was like, it was a pleasure talking to the machine.
1: <laughs> and I was like, shut the fuck yes. up. Yes. Oh my God. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so you know this comedy is – this this podcast is called The Tao of Comedy. Yes. And actually, you were the first comedian I talked to about this and you really inspired me to like – you were like, yeah, do it. Yeah. So here we are. Yep. Thank you. No, thank you. Um, so I want to talk about like kind of the way of comedy and the, the zen quality of it that you you mentioned on the phone. Um, what was the first joke you wrote that had meaning to you, that really meant something to you?
0: Um. Probably I told a story about taking acid and going to Disneyland with my buddy Hutch and my buddy Harper. (laughs) And that was probably the first joke I had where I went, Oh, this is how I should be doing it. And there's no one. No, I mean, I'm not saying no one was doing it that way at the time, but like I was in New York and there was a lot of straight up joke writers, but I was like, this is my voice is just good, fun stories about getting weird with real people. And and I think that, and it's so funny is, is, uh, the approach i had to writing that joke is the same approach i take to writing jokes now which is i never wrote it down i just told it i wanted to be in the moment and tell it and i wanted to remember the pacing based on my rhythms and not and and the room's rhythms yeah. as opposed to some way it looked in a, on piece of paper and so i told it the first time and it murdered and mm-hmm. i told it the second time and it was like okay Third time, not so good. Fourth time, bombed. Fifth time, it was it was all right again. I, I figured out the things I left out. Sixth time, seventh time, tenth time, great. Then from that moment, from the tenth time on, it's only gotten better. So like that's and that's the way I kind of look at comedy. Like right now, I'm telling the story about flying dildos. It's like an experience <laughs> I had in in uh, in Amsterdam when I was a kid. And I and I the joke. And I and it's it's something I that told is
1: such an amazing way to introduce a story. Yeah, <laughs> flying dildos as an experience I had in Amsterdam as a kid.
0: It's it's a really <laughs> it's a story I told on Rogan. Like I'd never really thought of it. My buddy reminded me of it, and I was like, oh shit. And I kind of told it to Rogan, and we laughed. And I, like I didn't have to tell the story; I just told him like the beats of the story, yeah. and we all just kind of giggled. And then people wanted to hear it on stage. And then Ari was like, "Hey, I'd love for you to tell it on my storytelling show." So I was like, "Oh, now I got to figure it out." So I started telling it, and it would just bomb and bomb and bomb. And then one day. I figured out what it what was even funnier about the story is that we were supposed to go see the Anne Frank house. Uh-huh. And I have always gotten Aunt Frank and Helen Keller mixed up. <laughs> oh my God. So, so, so that day I was under the impression that we were going to go see the Helen Keller. Like I was, I, I got them mixed up. So like, and I didn't even know who Anne Frank was. I was like twenty two. I didn't know who Anne Frank was. And as I'm, as we're walking to the Aunt Frank house, we get weed, and we get high, and we're walking. And they're, they're thinking, like, why would you want to get high? to go to the Anne Frank house and I was like you saw the movie that girl was fucking wild just Aah! and they're like no they're like we're gonna go to her closet and I go they kept her in a closet like and I start I literally was laughing hysterically try, like the whole time going this story's getting better the Nazis couldn't find Anne Frank thinking it's Helen Keller and that's when I saw the flying dildo sign so I was like oh fuck and Frank we're going to the fucking flying dildos. <laughs> so then now my so now I've got me into the story fine. I can get me out of the story fine. Now I got to work on the meat of the story, like the center of the story. And 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 once again, it's based off a real experience. So I need to work within the parameters of what really happened because there are four people that were there that remember it like it was yesterday. And by the way, have pictures of it. So like you kind of got to work within the parameters of that and then find what is truly funny. And sometimes you don't find that out until like just doing it a lot and giving up on it. And so I think, and so, and, but I, I have always had this like kind of like Zen approach to comedy of like, you, I, I don't want to force it. I want it to happen. I want it to be organic and I want it to be real to the room. And when it's real to the room, the right time, then I'll be able to figure it out the next time and, and so on and so on. I mean, like the machine story, I must have told that I probably told that for one year straight on the road with it not doing well,
1: wow, and it's the greatest story that ever happened,
0: but it's but it's 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 still a great story, even when it did poorly, it was still a great story, but it's better now because I know what to leave out of it, like I don't need to tell yeah. you everything, but still, there's parts that i that I don't need in that story that I can't take out because they're important to me like it's it is important to me that you know that the teacher that got the vodka spinner face didn't speak Russian. It's just as important to me. Yeah. She was an outsider on that whole trip. She didn't, she didn't respect Russian culture or what was going on there. Like, and that's important to me and it's not needed in the story, but it's still important to me, you know, but it's like, and it's, it's just finding like, like, so the story used to end with tonight. And, uh, so I understand you're the machine, Tonight you party with us, and that was the end of the story. But it really kind of was like, huh? Like it's really funny. Like people go, oh. And then what happened? Like you needed it needed a button. It needed a button. And one night, um, what? One night I realized as I got to the end, I can simply tag what Igor said. Fuck that bitch. This is Russia. Yeah. I'll just have the. I'll have the cop. Say that, fuck them. Bitch, this that, is Russia. A call back and then and it it's ties a great it all together. It, it really
1: brings it together. Yeah, it's such an, a comedy, is such an art form.
0: It's really an interesting. It's an interesting way to to ride people's auras to like yeah. take a look at their energy they're putting out and ride those. And sometimes it's just like
1: it's like surfing energy,
0: just like surfing. And trust me when I say I have definitely been in an audience where you catch the wave. But you don't stop paddling, and you just never get to ride it. Yeah, you just paddle the That's whole like fucking time. That's like most
1: people's experience. Sometimes I've obviously. not paddled
0: enough. Sometimes I paddle just the right amount. It's really an interesting. Sometimes I paddle and, and get well in, ahead of the white water and slow down.
1: And there's like a relaxation that has to occur to be able to trust the wave of energy because you can't you can't force the wave to do something. You have to ride it.
0: Yeah, you've got to ride the wave, and you've got to you've got to find. You got to find that sweet spot and it's hard because sometimes they get laughing and you want to keep it going so you kind of cut off their laugh and and they're like huh, what uh, what like it's and then sometimes you milk it too much and you know you're like and i don't know it's really an interesting rhythm and then sometimes you can overthink it like lately i've been thinking on stage like sometimes i'll get in the middle of a joke i go how how am I doing this? Like, how do I how am I getting them to laugh? Like, it's so weird. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll say something that isn't technically funny, but we get or a even big that laugh. Or
1: you're not trying to be funny, and it just gets a laugh.
0: Yeah. Like 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 I remember when I did my when I did Premium Blend. Premium Blend was like back in the day. What was your first? Com- Comedy Central set you'd ever do. It was like eight minutes. When I did Premium Blend, Bren, Blend, Pat Buckles, who was the talent coordinator, I think for Comedy Central at the time. Pat Buckles is a female, not a professional wrestler, but a female. Uh, She, and she's been in comedy forever. This woman knows comedy, knows comedy. She sat down with me at the desk, at a desk before I went on stage and read my set transcript back to me. And it was so not funny. Like I realized I didn't have one joke in there. And I'm like, and she's like, okay, so let me, we'll start off. My name's Bert. I know what you're thinking. Hot sexy name. Do you do porn? Is this it? Is this right? I was like, yeah. She's like, uh, I don't talk during sex. Bert, 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 Bert. Is that a, is this right? <laughs> I was like, Yeah. Shh. Okay. Is this? I'm reading this right? Are these? Do you do like? Or do you have like props or something? And I was like, No. It's different when I say it, I guess. And I was just like, Holy shit! I'm gonna bomb. And I remember her reading Tig's set with Tig laughing yeah. hysterically. So. Wow. It's yeah. Comedy is an interesting. It's an interesting dance, I guess. You, you
1: could say. almost get that calm of death when you do stand up too. That you almost get that same kind of calm as when you, that you were talking about facing death, but because there's you, you have to be completely present for it to work.
0: I, I definitely when I heard when I when I get nervous, but when I hear my name and I hear the music that I'm going to come out to, I get very calm. And the yeah. second I grab the microphone, I'm like, oh, thank God. I couldn't. I couldn't stand that pressure. One more yeah, second that's backstage. The, once you're
1: actually on and tell one joke and they get you get one giggle, it's like ah. Yeah. I I, I was raised Buddhist and um so, so I grew up meditating and I still meditate and I think that med I'm probably the only person out there that would argue that um, comedy when done properly is actually like a meditation because the whole point of meditation is being focused right being like laser focused on one thing yeah which calms your mind really and with comedy. You're doing that, and it's also about just staying in, in the here, in the now, right? And, yeah. and with comedy, if you're not actually present, um, a- and in the room and feeling people, then you can't you can't make people laugh.
0: Yeah, yeah, because there's times where I get on stage and I'll be thinking like, like this. Oddly enough, I knew that I had a proposal um, on my late show, and I was like telling the machine story. And I realized, oh, shit, I probably want to record that. In the middle of time, I'm, by the way, I'm talking. I'm going to uh, Russia. I'm telling the story. But I go, I probably want to record that. And I was like, shit. In my head, I'm like, the battery for my camera, my Canon is dead. I'm going to have to charge that. I want to. I want clean audio, too. I wonder if I have batteries for, I wonder where my SD card is for my Zoom. I, gotta, I wonder if I fucking, that's it. I'm probably never going to find that. And I'm telling the story. I'm just thinking about all this yeah. stuff I have to do. And then halfway through, I'm like, wait, where am I in the story? And then I was like, "Oh yeah, I should probably focus and wrap this up, and then I'll deal with this later." Yeah. But you get like that in comedy; it, it's it's kind of calming. Like you know, you there are moments where you moments where you're just talking and you don't you're not even there, you're not even present, you're on the side of the stage watching yourself do it. You're like,
1: yeah, it's a little. You can go on autopilot. I mean, it's amazing that you're still lit up when you tell the machine story because you've probably told it a million times.
0: Um, I've told a lot, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I don't know. I guess I guess I. It gets. I get excited when people haven't heard it. Yeah. And I go, well, I don't want that person to. I don't want them Die to feel like I don't give this. a shit about this. Yeah. Like, I want to. I give a shit. I do give a shit. I want them to enjoy it. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Well, I was glad you told it today. Oh, well, good. Um, do you feel like there is a, a motivation or, me, like, behind your comedy? Is there a meaning? Um, is it just about giving people a great time? Or is there some, like,. Subtle way in which you're trying to affect society or change the way people think about things.
0: Well, no, I used to. I used to. I used to think that I had a purpose, and then I stopped believing in a purpose, and then recently I believe in the purpose again, but it's a different purpose. I used to talk about race a lot, and I used to think because I I am a firm believer in anti-racism. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I think I've. I had someone be racist to me one time when I was young, and it hurt my feelings so bad. And I thought, how shitty that you're not giving me a chance because yeah. I'm white? Like,
1: yeah. Like, that's not
0: fucking cool. Yeah. And, uh, and so I used to talk about race to try to break down race, to try to break down the barriers. And I figured if we could all laugh about it, then, um, then it would help. The situation and then one day I realized this woman got really upset at a joke I made that wasn't in fact racist at all it was very, it was it was a joke about it was a joke mocking white people's oversensitivity to racism she was uh, black she got very upset uh. and sh- and and I got in trouble and I was like well shit. I was like I don't care anymore I have no message and I don't care like I, I literally gave up and I was like it's not my it's not my place to help any black Mexican asian i need to just help white men that's me i'm it's all i give a fuck about i don't want to lose my job i don't want to lose my security with like my yeah. family my house i don't want my like i don't i don't care about anybody i really don't and i got very selfish and i was like i'm throwing a party up there i'm gonna have i want people to come out have a great time i don't give a fuck if they think i, I go i remember thinking i don't care if they think at all like i don't care I don't care if they walk away with a message. I was like, I want them to have a great time. I want to sell drinks. I want to make money. I want to have a blast. And I and I did that for a while. And then uh like I was I during this period, Priscilla, our dog, uh had her first surgery where we were we thought that they were gonna have to put her down. And I was extremely upset about it. And I was on my treadmill, I was drinking a glass of wine, walking. <laughs> And I was watching...
1: You drink on the treadmill.
0: I drink wine when I walk on the treadmill (laughs) at night.
1: If I did that, I might walk on the treadmill more. Right?
0: That's why I do it. I, mean, well, I, I walk seven <laughs> miles on the treadmill, drink a bottle of wine. It's, it's great. I mean, by the end, trust me, you get, you get excited. You're like, fuck it, I'm going to jog for a mile. Like, it's great. It really is great. I, I suggest, I think more people should do
1: drunk it. Running's oh, drunk running's fun. Drunk running's the most fun.
0: Oh, and I put on TV, I watch I watch Diners, Drivers, and Dives the most. I love Diners, I love Drivers, that and Dives. Show. Um, but I was watching Greg Fitz, or uh, Geraldo's special. He had a joke. I don't remember the joke. I wish I did. But he had a joke in there. And I was just, I'd seen the special before, but I guess maybe I didn't see this joke. And I was thinking about Pris. I was drinking a bottle of wine. I was thinking about Greg and about how it stinks that he's passed and his kids don't get to know how cool he is or was. And then he told a joke and and it made me laugh. And I went, hold on. That's crazy. I was just so depressed. And all that disappeared. Yeah. And then right after that, a friend of ours lost her father and they came out to see me. I didn't, uh, look, I'm not. I'm not like I'm not a super deep person sometimes. So I, I, I heard that she lost her father. I never would connect two and two and be like, I need to put this show on for her. That's yeah. not who I am. I'm definitely not that guy. There are people like that. I'm not that guy. Yeah. And uh, I just went and did stand up. I didn't. I mean, I knew she lost her father, but she pulled me aside and she was like, I needed that. And I was like, oh, no, thanks. She goes, no, 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 no. I lost my father and I've been in a really bad place. And... For the last hour I just laughed and I haven't laughed in two weeks and I probably won't laugh again. But tomorrow morning when I think about last night tonight, I will be very happy and I'll I can think of things you said and yeah. I start giggling. And I went, Oh wow. Yeah and then and then another our friend her mother went to hospice and the other one was like, No, you gotta go see Bert. And then she went and saw me and she was like, that was amazing. Like, I've been really de- dealing with shitty stuff. Like, that was amazing. So, like, as of late, I've just, like, and I, this is probably the last two years or so. Yeah. I just started realizing, like, oh, there is a purpose as a comedian. You're, my goal is to make people smile and to make life better for everyone. And I started looking at it globally as, like, my job in life, the only reason I'm on this planet is for people to have, to to be distracted from whatever bad shit they have going on and... And maybe they can be misdirected by me, whatever shenanigans, shirtless shenanigans I have going on. Yeah. And and laugh and then go, Oh life's not that bad. You know? Yeah. And so and I and I think to a fault I think I've to a fault, you know, like if someone's in a bad way, and they come to my show, and then they talk to me afterwards. I really focus on them, and I want, i am—end up becoming a little like I—I I, I never let anyone down. If someone wants to have a shot with me, I always do a shot yeah. with them. If they want to go take a picture where they pinch my nipple, I'm like, of course, I don't care. Yeah, like I'm almost like selfless in that in that respect. But I want it totally. to be—I want it. I, I it really moved me. The combination of my friends telling me what they were going through, and then witnessing it happen for myself through Geraldo yeah and I thought I thought, wow, man, that's what we're here for in comedy is like is like really just let people just turn off for a little bit and just and go that was a fucking rough week. oh my god, this is so I'm great I
1: have a blast yeah, and in the midst of a shitty situation you can stop and have a blast. Well, I wanted to say that I feel like your purpose on earth is I was gonna say this before you even said what you said um I feel you're like you're like a party. God, like a deity that incarnated on Earth to teach people um, to lighten up and have a blast, yeah. and and celebrate life, and oh, so that manifests. You. Well, I think it's really beautiful and it manifests as, yeah, I'll do a shot. Sure, pinch my nipple. Yeah, yeah, I'll run around naked because it it fills people with glee and it lights people up, or it manifests as, yeah, I'll get you rolling in the aisles laughing. And yeah. I'm imagining you're also like a very fun dad and husband and like that that's your purpose there too.
0: I'm fun. I think f- f- as a dad, I'm more fun. I'm I am a- uh, like I say this honestly, I think anyone who knows me very well knows this. I'm a little bit of an idiot for real in life, like a little bit like I, I like but more like when it comes to like like not in business and not in writing material or writing a script or producing television, but in like just like simple life, like I was telling a story to someone the other day about Christmas, my wife said she wanted pajamas. I heard that in the plural, like I want pajamas <laughs> like I didn't realize that was the singular as well. <laughs> I want I, I want a pair of pajamas. I want pajamas. So I bought her seven pairs of pajamas. Oh my god. Like not even Did thinking. She
1: opened them and they are like, what the fuck, Bert?
0: I wrapped them individually. <laughs> but, then, but I stacked them all on top of each other. So
1: she thinks she has seven great different gifts. And my dad pajamas. was
0: there. My dad, by the way, when he laughs, he laughs like me, he starts going <laughs> and she opened the first one and she goes, Oh great, it's pajamas. And I was like, Yeah, you said you wanted pajamas. She's like, I do. Oh, thank you, babe. she opened the other one, she goes, Oh, it's pajamas And I was like, Yeah, yeah, right? And she's like, Yeah, oh thanks, I, I definitely I need two pair. And then I went and then she opened the third one, she goes, It's pajamas <laughs> <laughs> My dad Starts going, looking at it and realizing it's all the same wrapping paper. It's all wrapped identical. And my dad sees four more, and he starts going, Oh, open the next one. Tell me it's pajamas. By the time he got to the last one, he was going, Oh, please be pajamas! Please be pajamas! And my and we they laughed so hard. My whole family. I wasn't laughing at all because I felt very vulnerable. Cause I was like, Did I fuck up? Like I thought you said you wanted pajamas. And my wife's like, I like my wife just is like, it's seven pairs of pajamas. And my dad came. My dad's like, let me get a picture with you in all your pajamas. But, but like, so like I like I'm that kind of, I'm I'm a little bit of a fuck up in that sense. Like I tell the story, I tell the story. I've told, I've never really told it on stage. But uh I came back. I think I came back from, maybe Vietnam. Oh, I came back from somewhere. But I've been flying. And I land at like 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, I want to say, in LAX. Like, I'm guessing. I don't know. but I, 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 By the time I get home, the girls are up. I'm still very buzzed or hungover from my flight. Uh, it was a long flight. And Leanne's like, take a nap. I'll wake you up And it's time to go to school. It was Monday morning. I only know that because we have assembly every Monday morning. The kids, you got to get awards. So I go. And I, you're not allowed to drink hot coffee uh, on campus because you could spill it on a kid and burn them. So a little oversensitive, but I get it. I get upset yeah. if someone spilled coffee yeah. on Isla's face. Yeah. So I grab, she wakes me up. I got to sit to assembly. So I grab two Diet Cokes, shove them in my vest, pockets, go to the assembly, get to assembly, crack the first Diet Coke, put it to my lips and realize I have a Coors Light. Oh my and, god. And and I as soon as I do that I'm like, holy shit. Like that's kind of who I am as a person is a little bit like uh Jay Moore used to tell a story about me uh, you know about and this is very honest and I, I think this is this is very honest from my perspective. But we went and to a, a burger joint in uh in San Jose and i got the uh the big what was the name of the guy what was the name of the guy who died in the plane crash with Richie valens the big Buddy bopper Holly. the big bopper oh
1: the big bopper yeah
0: i got the big bopper for lunch and uh and it was big bopper was uh like a half pound cheeseburger with jalapenos serrano chilies a fried egg bacon and like pineapple and so i eat that burger and I also ate a handful of grapes. Like a month before, I had eaten a bunch of grapes, and I ha- and I went to the bathroom, and my wife was like, "Oh, it's a lot of fiber from the grapes. So we're at the show, and I'm like, I'm shitting my brains out. And, I, and by the way, I come out, and I, I candidly, honestly blame it on the grapes. I go, God, those grapes really cut through me. And Jay <laughs> lost his mind. He was like- no it was the big bopper and I go no it was, it was the grapes I ate a handful of grapes I go when I eat grapes I shit he's like no it was the serrano chili and but, and I'm not trying to be funny I'm being serious in this moment I, I think that's constantly it's still so funny like I said I, like I miss I used to write jokes very easily by mishearing people because I always mishear hear what yeah. they say and the other day the woman said to me have an excellent day but I heard her say I'm not even fucking around I heard her say watch out for the Mexicans today <laughs> And I I was like, what? So, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's, I think all the stories that I that I am in, even including the Russian mob one, I think that is also my personality in that. It's like this guy that's kind of like, like a little bit of a bumbling idiot who's along for the ride who just gets in over his head constantly. He keeps
1: finding himself I keep, in yeah, situations.
0: I keep finding – I've always found myself in situations. I met with uh, Richard Donner's company. They produced Goonies and they wanted to do a movie about the machine. And I'd said something, and there was another story that I'd told that had been told by other comics and kind of made its way around. And they, first thing I sat down, they said, We've heard this story. Is that yours? And I went, Yeah, it is. And they're like, We knew it was yours the second we heard it because of the character. The way you are in that is identical to ha- that in the machine. And that's, we want to make a story about that guy, about that guy. I go, that guy's me. Like, I'm just, I'm always, like, I'm always. I don't know if I don't you know I don't know if I want to change like I I think that's like when you say a 43 year old and I go I always feel young I always yeah. feel like I always felt young I remember in like in tennis camp meeting this kid named Jay and his and he was like a really great tennis player but he was cool as shit he could break dance and he like he was he like he just was cool and he was always getting in trouble and I was like I was like we're eating a cheeseburger and and starburst, and walking to the pool after, in between, for lunch. I said, how old are you? And he's like, 11. I go, you're 11? <laughs> I go, I'm 13. I was like, I thought, like I was looking up to this kid he's like two years younger than me. I'm like, shut up.
1: <laughs> Who do you think is the most meaningful comic out there right now and, and why? Why them?
0: Jesus, that's a good question. My guess, you know, I don't want to, I'm at, I have to say, and I'm sure this person would not like this, but like I guess Amy is probably the most meaningful person doing comedy mm. because, you know, I I haven't I'm candidly I haven't watched a lot of her stand up, um, but she's changing the way a lot of young women feel about themselves. Yeah, and so like how do you ignore that? I mean, if I'd love to, like I don't have a I don't have a I don't have a group that listens to me that. Hasn't had a lot of privilege thrown their way. So, like, I don't really, mm-hmm. like... I'm not going to be changing the way young white men think about themselves. Yeah.
1: Paving white... the way for young white men. Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> I guess it would have to be Amy, you know, Joe. Yeah. I think Joe's changed a lot of the way people look at the world. You yeah. Know? I mean, Joe's opened people's opened people's minds up to new... I mean, he changed, he's changed my life. I've, I've been listening to Joe. And, you know, Joe's a friend of Joe mine. Joe Rogan. Yeah, Joe Rogan. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, Joe... I've mean, listening to his podcast as long as he's been had it out. He's changed. Just his podcast alone has changed the way I've seen the world. I mean, really, wow. entirely changed the way I've seen the world. You know, it's the real, real crazy thing about podcasts is that you talk to people in such a—you're like right in their ear. You're right in their yeah. ear. They're by themselves. It's you get them, you corner them with thoughts. And, like, when people say they like my podcast, I'm always fucking blown away. I'm always blown away when a woman says, I love your podcast. You
1: know what? I love your podcast. Oh, thank you.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I... But, like, I, I think Joe's just taken it upon himself to be this renaissance man in art, in comedy, in psychedelics, in cars, in hunting, in fighting, in, like, so many ways. I've learned so much listening to his podcast. Yeah. I ended up talking to a guy the other day and... Halfway through, I'm like, me and this guy have so much in common. It just turns out we both listen to Joe's podcast. <laughs> but like, And then through these podcasts, you meet people. Like, I met a guy who was a fan of my podcast, came out to one of my shows. He's like, my wife's having this birthday party thing on Saturday. Do you want to come? And I'm like, yeah. And then me and him had the most amazing fucking conversation in the car ride out about Aukman's Razor and... And he was a navy he was a he was a, a coast guard uh SEAL swimmer, like saving people's lives and it was like fucking amazing. And podcasters are I man, I'm obsessed.
1: I know, they're incredible. I listen to I them when them. I'm on the treadmill and I look forward to and now I'll also be drinking wine, so it'll be doubly enjoyable. Drinking wine
0: on a on a treadmill is pretty <laughs> fucking amazing.
1: Okay, you can say no, but we can I can we do a shot?
0: I can't do a shot.
1: Oh man, okay. Let me
0: see. Let's see what we have a shot of.
1: I brought whiskey.
0: What do you have? I brought
1: bushmills. Oh, I love bushmills. Let's do a shot. Yay! I'm also hoping that you'll. Okay. Of course I have shot
0: glasses. Of course you have shot glasses. So well here, let's do it. Let's do a toast.
1: Okay. Doing a toast.
0: Um To uh, to whatever we do in life, may it make other people's lives better.
1: May you continue to bring much joy into uh, so many people's ears. Oh, thank you. Whew. Yes.
0: Going to pick up my daughters with whiskey on my breath.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it won't be the first time.
0: <laughs> it will not be. Oh, that um, was good.
1: Oops. I, yeah, that was good, right? was really good. That was right? really that good. Was good.
0: That was really good.
1: Take the edge off the hangover.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I uh, I did that in all honesty, and you can take this out if you want, but I did that because of your brother. Because so I, 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 thought, I thought, man, like, I was like, I don't want to do a shot. Then I was like, you know what? She's been dealing with some shit. Let's do a fucking shot.
1: See, that's your generosity.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's I'm selfless. You're
1: actually you're sacrificing your own <laughs> liver for all of those uh, of us yeah. who take great joy.
0: Hey, from my liver's healthy. I just got my you. I just got my lipids taste. I know, tested.
1: it's because you have medicine from the future being yep. brought to you by your time travel self.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I must be. I'm probably like you're while something. I sleep, I'm, I'm 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 doing something in my body. I'm massaging <laughs> my liver. I had a dream last night. I had a dream last night that uh I was writing for uh Amy Schumer show and I and I wrote a joke. I wrote a sketch and I was like, "This is too fucking good." The sketch was, "I'm obsessed with catcalling. I'm obsessed that I didn't know it was real. I thought it was a joke.
1: Oh, it's real."
0: And I and I was like, "I was like, and I was like, okay." So then I was like, "The way to get men to stop catcalling is by um, showing them what it feels like to be (laughs) catcalled." So I was like, "All right, we'll do a sketch. We'll be like a real interactive sketch where we take guys." Who cat call? And as they walk down the street, we'll throw footballs at them while they're not looking. I was like, because that's what a cat call is. It's like getting scared. It's like, go, yeah. And I was like, so we'll just <laughs> yeah. throw footballs at them. And so I was like, this is great. And then I was like, and we had Aaron Rodgers. He was like, well, I'll, I'd love to do that. I'd love to help. You know, So Aaron Rodgers is like, where do you want me to hit them? And I was like, oh, you can like nail them wherever you want. I go, you got to hit some in the head. And I go, but like mostly like in the chest, or if you could fly it by their face, or knock whatever's in their hand out. He's like, great. So it was me and Aaron Rodgers and Amy Schumer, and we had a box of footballs.
1: Are we still in the dream? It's in a dream. In dream. And it was I amazing. got
0: up from the dream, and I wrote this down, and 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 I wrote this down. And then I went back in the dream, and Amy's like, I think it would be better if we had big. But like badass gay dudes that are ripped and shredded in yes, tattoos. Yes. If we had them cat call these men, she
1: would say that and
0: make them feel that.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. And
0: I was like, that's a good idea. And so I got up and I wrote both these ideas down, thinking they were genius in the middle of the night. And then I woke up and I was like throwing footballs at people. <laughs> I told my wife, she's like, that's not one of your best dreams. <laughs> I was like, no shit.
1: I think it's a brilliant dream. Yeah. But I've also had mo- so many moments where I write a joke in the middle of the night. And I'm just like giggling. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. And I write it down in the middle of the night. And yeah. I wake up like, yeah, I can't wait. To r- I wrote the funniest thing without even trying. And then I look at it and I'm like, what is this even about? Like, I'll, it'll just be like Moroccan vagina. Like yeah. scribbles. So like, what?
0: I wrote a joke one time sleeping. I've ever written. I've had jokes that like I've written. Not jokes, but like dreams that I get out. And I was like, that was a goddamn genius fucking dream. Like I had a dream about Doug Stanhope. I'm going to be telling this later. I got to, this is one of the shows I'm doing for Comedy Central's about my dreams. But cool. I had a dream about Stanhope that he had, I had seen him at Rogan's house and he wanted me to read his book submission, which is real. He really did want me to read his book submission. Yeah. Or I take that back. I got I got him interested in writing a book, and so I kind of hammered him, introduced him to my agent, and then the ball got rolling. And he called me one night and he said, "Your book's fucking amazing," and I was like, "Thank you." It really means a lot, Doug. And he's like, no, I love your book, and I'm excited to write mine. So then in the dream, he said that to me. He goes, would you read my submission? We're at Rogan's house. It's like Game of Thrones. Everyone's in different corners doing crazy shit, big fires, big wolves. up's off in the corner, and he's got his book submission. Greg Chaley, his tour manager, gives me his book submission. It's just a, a folder. With two pieces of paper on one side, and then a man, a menu from Chilkoot Charlie's, which is an, a restaurant in Alaska that Greg used to work at. And he was like, he was like, eh, couldn't hurt, right? So <laughs> I take the two pieces of paper. One is just like four paragraphs and the, the one page, and then the other page is a bunch of stickers with this note that says, "Place on forearm." So I'm like, okay. So I take the stickers. I place them on my forearm. I read the page. I'm like, whatever. I give it to Doug. I go. He goes, "What do you think?" I go, "It's good." He's like, "No." To you do the stickers? I said, yeah. And he goes, I'll read it again. I go, why? He goes, the stickers are acid. These are the perfect words. If you read it, every time you read it, you have a different adventure. Whoa. And I was like, whoa. So I look at the fucking, <laughs> I look at the letters now, and now all the letters are shimmering and raising up off the paper and dropping down, and all the shimmer dust is landing on the paper. And I'm like, whoa. whoa. And then I read it again, and now I'm on a horse tearing through the letters just, yeah yeah i'm like holy fucking shit i read it again and now me rogan ari joey diaz doug greg all of us were like the battlers the soldiers from 300 fighting the letters and i'm like this is fucking amazing he's like keep reading it gets better and i'm like and i woke up and i was like ah i've got but i just i just ended up recording it and then giving it Comedy central and they're like yeah we'll animate it do it
1: oh my god
0: yeah so so is that it? Did, you, did I answer all the questions?
1: No, I have the last. So the last part of this podcast is I'm I. I've come up with big questions about life. Let's do it. What's the meaning of life?
0: The meaning of life, as it pertains to me, yes, is to make as many people smile as possible. That's it. Yeah. Simple. That's it.
1: Do you believe in God?
0: I do. I definitely believe in God.
1: Why do you believe in God?
0: Because this is too complicated to have not been created by a higher power.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: And this is so fucking complicated when you think about just shoelaces. Just shoelaces.
1: Just shoelaces.
0: (laughs) It's, It's definitely way too complicated to not be created by a higher power.
1: This is this is this all put separate because it's not one of these ten questions. But um, do you ever feel invisible aid? Like, I mean, you've had such an incredible life with so many incredible opportunities that befell you, or things that just happened to you. Do you feel like God has a sense of humor and is is applying it to you?
0: Oh, hardcore! <laughs> God's got a sick sense of humor. <laughs> He's yeah. Oh, yeah. One time I was on a plane, and I was, thought I was going to die. The plane was bouncing around real bad, and I freaked out. And my cameraman, who I would upgraded to sit next to me, Mike, was sitting next to me. And I was having a conversation with God, and he said, you haven't done everything you're going to do. And he, and he was saying, I don't want it to end yet. Like, you got a lot to do. You haven't done anything. <laughs> and I leaned over to Mike, and he goes, Mike goes, what are you mad, nervous about? And I said, I don't want to die. And he goes, why not? And I said, because I haven't done anything in my life. And Mike looks at me and he goes, do you realize how insulting that sounds to me? He goes, all I've done is videotape you doing shit. <laughs> he goes, I haven't done anything. And I heard God and me laugh together going, fuck yeah, that's right.
1: When you And we touched on this a little bit. When you're on your deathbed, when you're really on your deathbed in 59 years, right before your time – travel self sweeps in and like resets it all but when you really think you're gonna die what will actually have mattered
0: if my kids are set up my kids are comfortable yeah that's it if my kids are comfortable my kids if i if i can lay on that deathbed and know that my that georgia and isla can can move forward from this day and be not financially just like and be good. That's what matters to me. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that matters. He going to get me to cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that's the only thing that matters. So I would lay there and they're like, Dad, I'm going to be okay. I'd be like, fuck, done. I'm good.
1: Mm-hmm. If God does exist. Oh, he does. And does exist. What? What will you... This is... I think I'm just about to rip off the inside the actor's guy. What do you want to hear him say at the pearly gates? The machine. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> you, want to, you want to do a shot, bro? Tonight you bro. party with us. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so I understand you're the machine. Oh, uh, oh, uh,
0: oh, uh, that got me.
1: Why are we here?
0: I don't fucking no. I think I don't know. I th- it's it's more than just working in a cubicle. I think we're here to I think we're trying to we're here to try to connect as much with as many people as possible and try to I think try to make the load lighter for other people. I think I I I often think that when I look at people that are like hardcore feminists in the U.S., I think they're missing the point. I think mm-hmm. they, I think they're missing the point that take those f- beliefs and there's women that have it really bad in other parts of the world. And I think that try to make the lo- load lighter for everyone. You know, the woman that's getting a tire put around her neck and lit on fire. That's the woman who needs you. And we need you here too, but we're up and running. Our, pa- our plates will spin for a little while while you go take care of other things, you mm-hmm. know? Like I I get really I get really upset sometimes when I think about kids with uh cleft palates.
1: Well, my niece was born with a cleft lip and a cleft palate and but, but yeah,
0: I mean I remember like there are kids that are born with cleft palates that and cleft lips that do not get them fixed and yeah. I look at those and I go that's so unfair.
1: So unfair.
0: And, so that, and then I like that's one of the reasons you end up loving Jessica Simpson because she spends all her time trying to fucking help those kids. Operation Smile helps those kids, it's amazing. and you just like that's what you do. just lighten the load for other people that don't even know they need the load lightened. Yeah, you know, uh, I think that's why we're here.
1: Do you believe in destiny? Yeah. Oh, hardcore. Hardcore you believe in karma
0: hardcore <laughs> oh me and my buddy Eddie used to always say man last night was rough we gotta take a bum to lunch <laughs> like I believe in karma I believe in karma I believe that's what happened to Johnny Cochran and Robert Kardashian and, and, uh, uh-huh. and Robert Shapiro is they got OJ off and they ended up paying karmically for that wow yeah
1: um, last question okay do you believe in magic? Yes. What is it? What is it? Me too.
0: I believe in magic. magic. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I believe in magic, and ever since I was a little kid, when I first saw Return of the Jedi uh, and Luke could make sh- shit levitate, I started going, "Oh, I bet I can do that." And I believe, <laughs> I believe in, I believe in magic in in a sense that, like, I think that, I think magical shit happens. I think I've had experiences where magical shit happens to me. Or you go, that wasn't there. And then all of a sudden I found it. Oh, shut up. But I believe in time travel. I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I believe in it all. <laughs> I believe in magic. That's why I don't like watching magicians because I don't like it. makes me nervous. And I'll be like, it's in your sleeve. I'm like, dude, just fucking let us dream for a second. Yeah. I believe in Santa still. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm like, like, like. I'm hoping there's a day that Santa just comes out. He's like, listen, man, there was a lot of people. I couldn't do it all. This was doable like in Jerusalem days when there was like 1,500 people. I could do it. But like I believe in all that. And I don't ever want to stop believing. I believe in everything. I'm a believer. Hardcore. I believe in God. I believe in miracles. I believe. Look at my life. My life's a fucking miracle.
1: Yeah. How could you not?
0: Look at this. I'm I'm a kid who's borderline dyslexic. Not that. I don't like. I I can't read real good. I wrote a book. Yeah. i fucking been doing stand-up for 17 years. I've been in this business. I've been working on, in television for like 15 years legit. I'm, I, I'm a miracle. I'm a goddamn miracle. I'm a Christmas miracle.
1: You're a Christmas miracle. Thank you for being a Christmas miracle on my show. This I has been amazing. It. Thanks for doing a shot with me. I really appreciate it. This hey. has been so fun. Thank you. Thank you.